The following audio is from Norris Ferry Community Church. More information about Norris Ferry Community Church is available at norrisferrychurch.org. All right. Thank you. Be seated. Good morning. How's everybody doing? Okay. Glad the three of you are doing well. Uh, all right. Get your heads on this. We're changing gears. I know you don't like change, but this is not announcements. I'm going straight into the sermon. We cut out a few of the uh, little piece of the service to get you out of here earlier. The storms are getting worse and worse, but you're getting, you're getting to worship the Lord. And we wanted to get you home safely. And so there was no shine tonight either. I've been looking at the weather. It's not letting up. It's looking pretty gnarly. And we've got some issues to deal with on the building, and we, we'd rather just cancel that tonight. And so I'm going to go ahead and call off Connection Group and make Kevin's life uh, a nightmare trying to get word to everybody. But uh, so we'll get word to connection group. So after this, everyone get your jammies on, get under the covers, enjoy some family time, open the scriptures together, enjoy your uh, your afternoon. But let's let's ask the Lord to help us prepare to hear from his word and uh, enjoy that time in his word. Lord, would you be with us this morning? And uh, we just ask for your help uh, learning from you from this awesome passage. And we, we want to give you all glory and praise. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, I I did a lot of work. Well, first of all, I have a question for you. Have you been reading your Bible? Yeah. Okay, let me try that again. Have you been reading your Bible? Well, yee-haw. That's what you say when you've been in Nashville on on spring break. We had a great time. Saw uh, Charlie Daniels' band. Devil went down to Georgia playing the fiddle. I got more country by the week. I mean, I am redneck as it gets now. We had a great time. Thankful for a church that allows us vacation time and thankful for a staff that able to keep things rolling without missing a beat. Uh, in fact, I heard Jared did so well. I'm a little concerned about job security. I was uh, coming around the corner and Ray Norred was talking and he did not know I was around the corner. And, and I heard Ray and Ray said, uh, hey, Jared, are you preaching again? And I was like, whoa, be careful. I said, Ray, I hear you. You sound a little too excited. He says, oh, no, pastor, I didn't mean that. So uh, always watching, always watching. You already called the cops on me once. I don't know if you all remember that story, but easy there, buddy. All right, so it's good to be home, good to be back. It was a lot of work to time spring break with chapter 13 so that Jared would have to preach that chapter, but it worked like a charm. So today we're on chapter 14. Now, 13 through 19 is a unit of scripture. Everything's different. The first 12 chapters is conquest. The next chapters from 13 and 19 is allocating the benefits of the conquest, allocating the land. And so we're, we're in chapter 14. Last week, Jared, if you want to throw the, the map up there, anytime you throw a map up, the church gets giddy because you know it's going to be exciting. Um, that was sarcasm. Uh, but the east side of the Jordan River, Reuben, Gad, Manasseh, that's two and a half tribes. The west side of the river, Sim, all those, that's, that's the remaining nine and a half tribes that we're going to cover from now till chapter 19. Why is that a big deal? Who cares about these foreign lands and these deeds that, I mean, literally there are some chapters that give you every little twist and turn of the property boundary. Well, if you found out you, your rich uncle, who you really didn't know, but he passed away, so you weren't really upset because you, I mean, you were sad, but you weren't broken because you didn't know him. But you got a phone call that says he included you in the will. You were going to pay careful attention what you got. 
in the inheritance. You sit at the table with all your family members, these long-lost uncles and cousins that you've never met before, but everybody somehow was able to clear the calendar to hear out about their inheritance. And so you go and you hear, and you hear about the inheritance, and you learn that your cousin you didn't even know was your cousin got that piece, and you're looking very carefully what he got, and your uh, brother got this, your aunt got this, but you, your name is called, and you hear you got this pretty farmland that's on the hill, and you're so excited, you're so blessed, and you're thrilled to have received inheritance, but you now know, okay, give me exactly the boundaries, give me the details. It's important to know that God has very specific, detailed plans and promises, and he is faithful to every last detail of his promises. And that's what's going on here. This has been hundreds of years in the making. They've been dying to finally get the land. And they got the phone call. It's time to get the land. And so the Bible spills a lot of ink on the pages of detailing out the boundaries. But what is so valuable about this land? Why is it such a big deal? Is it the dirt? It's not just the dirt. I mean, it's valuable. It's worth something. You'd be excited about getting that farmland. You picture your time with the family out there, riding horses, four-wheelers, planting crops, and just living the good old life. But then you find out that farmland sits in the middle of the Hainesville Shale. (laughs) Then you realize that, that this valuable land, what is the value of the promised land? What are the mineral rights of the promised land? the presence of God. You see, what is the promised land all about? Well, the Abrahamic covenant. What was the Abrahamic covenant all about? It was restoration of what was in the garden. What was in the garden? Adam and Eve in the middle of God's glorious land, enjoying God uninhibited. But when they sinned, they were exiled. Here we see God in Genesis 12 didn't give up on them because God's faithful despite our unfaithfulness. God said, I'm going I'm to recreate that. And it's an unconditional promise that God made to Abraham. Not because you're worth it, not because you're going to be good, not because you deserve it, not because you're big and mighty people, but because you're a nothing people. You haven't done anything to impress me, but I'm gracious. I'm going to give you this land. I'm going to restore what was lost, me living in your midst. And so he promises them that. And Moses, he uses Moses to get them out of Egypt and bring them to this promised land. And he gives them a tabernacle where he will dwell. And he gives them priests or Levites to to administer the sacrifices that was necessary for the blood to cover their sin. But in all of this was the reason was so that God could be with them so they could enjoy him once again. So the value of the land is God being restored to the presence of the people so that the people could enjoy him and worship him once again. Now, we see this in the Levites. In in verse 3, he mentions all throughout this record that Levites didn't get anything. The Levites didn't get any land. The Levites didn't get any land. And it's not just because of the math. It's not just because Joseph's two kids got land because that would mess up the 12. Now, that was nice that the Levites didn't get any because that enabled Joseph's two kids to get land. But why is that such a big deal? In in, uh, chapter 13, verse 33, it says, because God is their inheritance. Now, what is, what is the picture that he's building here? The picture is that the Levites, 
have God and the Levites are spread. They were given cities and pastures all throughout the promised land in the midst of all the tribes. So every tribe had access to the presence of God. The great value of the land is restoration to the presence of God. That's why this is such a big deal. All that, that was lost in the garden, God promised with very great detail to restore his presence among his people. And he is fulfilling it with every last detail. But there's a problem. The story doesn't end here. If everyone was faithful in the land, God would have said, done. He'd lived among his people. His glory would shine to the nations as God's people lived according to his way. They were loyal subjects, trusting, obeying him. The nations would see what a fabulous God God is and how good he is to his people, that he gives them his wisdom and his presence and his provision, and he fights for them and he blesses them, and it's a glorious land. And the nations would be like, I want to be a part of that. But they didn't do that. They weren't loyal subjects. They turned to false gods, and as a result... They weren't loyal. They didn't trust God. They didn't obey God. And God said, I'm finally, after many, many generations, he finally said, all right, you're out of land. But not all hope was lost because God's promise to Abraham was unconditional. And so how did God fulfill this promise? So you open your New Testament. And the Old Testament left you longing for a better Moses, a better leader, a better Joshua longing for a better King David, who'd you read about later if you kept reading your Bibles, longing for a better sacrifice, longing for a better priest, a better tabernacle, a better everything. And then Jesus shows up and the New Testament says, it's Jesus. Jesus didn't offer animal sacrifices. He offered his own sacrifice of himself to cover our bloods. And he's not living in some temple, that he is the very dwelling of God himself. And that when we put our faith in him, he fills us with his spirit so we become the dwelling of God. And he gives us a new heart that we can finally, one day, we will be perfectly faithful, loyal subjects. When Christ returns, he will finally remove his enemies, remove the presence of sin, establish his reign and rule on a new heavens and a new earth. The garden will be restored and God will live among his people for how long? Forever. And so that's what the story of the Bible is about. That's what this is. When you see him allocating land that was conquered, it is a picture of the fact that Christ has conquered sin and Satan. And our job is to say, until Christ returns, we've got to do the work that is left to be done. We've got to faithfully allocate the gospel in our lives, faithfully allocate the purposes of God, the the blessings of God, the power of God, the grace of God, the forgiveness of God, the peace of God. And it takes a battle of faithfulness that we're in. So when we see they conquered the remaining people in the land and they allocated the land, we're going to apply that to our lives to say, what do we need to do to allocate the blessings of Christ in our life, to allocate the reign and rule of Christ and the peace of God in our life? And in the bookend of chapter 13 and chapter 19, Caleb and Joshua bookend this material. And that's because they were the two faithful spies. And they're highlighted as, they're idealized as the perfect models of faithfulness. Now, what what is this all about? Well, if you remember back in Numbers 13 and 14, the first time, 45 years prior to this event that we're reading about, 
Moses had gotten the people to the edge of the promised land. Hundreds of years, they've been waiting for this day. And he sent 12 spies, one from each of the 12 children of Abraham. He sent them in. He said, check out the land, come back and give us a report. And they came back and 10 of them, they were like, it is awesome. The fruit is awesome. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. If I was going to describe the promised land, it wouldn't be milk and honey. I would be something involving pizza. But it's still, it's a great land. And they said, but the Anakim live there. And we are like grasshoppers next to these dudes. These people are amazing. And so they come back and they give this tragic report. And they tell the people, we can't do this. And so ultimately, they decide to turn back and go to Egypt. And that's in the book of Numbers. And so they turn back and they say, let's go back to Egypt. But one person gets it right. Two people, actually, Joshua and Caleb. And Caleb tells them, no, we can do this. Don't turn back. And so he tells them we should stay, we should fight. And if I could ever find the notes, there they are. In Numbers. Caleb says, we should stay, we should fight. Surely all the men who have seen... uh, Only do not rebel against the Lord. Do not fear for the people of the land, for they will be our prey. Listen to the faith in Caleb's heart. Their protection has been removed from them. The Lord is with us. Don't fear them. But all the congregation said, stone them with stones. And then the glory of the Lord appeared in the tent of meeting to all the sons of Israel. That must have been a scary scene because... We read about later what effect it had in them. In Numbers 14, 22, it says, Surely all the men, this is the Lord speaking, who saw my glory and my signs, which I performed in Egypt, all the plagues, in the wilderness, the manna, the quail, the water, the parting of the seas. And yet they have put me to the test these ten times, and they have not listened to my voice. They shall by no means see the land, which I swore to their fathers. And nor shall any of them who have spurned me see it. But my servant Caleb, because he has had a different spirit has followed me fully. I will bring him into the land which he entered and his descendants shall take possession of it. And so that's what the scene is as we come to our text today. Caleb had been faithful. He's 85 years old now. And by this time in the scriptures, their lifespan is closer to ours. So he's at the end of his life. And he is finally to the point where he's getting the the inheritance that he was promised Think of all that he had been through in his life. Trial after trial, failure at the Battle of Ai, obstacles like the Red Sea, obstacles like the Jordan River. Every day he had to have opportunity to doubt God. Is God going to be faithful, really? Because this is not how I envisioned this turning out. But here we see he is described three times in our text. Verse 8, verse 9, verse 14. Caleb followed the Lord God fully. Oh, don't you want that to be said about you? You followed the Lord fully. Let's look at Caleb's faithfulness. We see, first of all, the basis of faithfulness in verse 6. The basis of Caleb's faithfulness. The sons of Judah draw near to Joshua in Gilgal, and Caleb the son... Uh, uh, of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know the word which the Lord spoke to Moses, the man of God, concerning you and me in Kadesh Barnea. So Caleb comes to Moses, and he, I mean, comes to Joshua, and he says, Now look, 
You know what God told you. You know what God told Moses. He promised us that we would get some land, son. It's time to get the land. I have been waiting all these years. And I have been faithful because I've never forgotten this promise. The promises of God, the words of God are the basis of faithfulness. When you are tempted to be unfaithful, however that might look in your life, the answer is not to look into yourself and figure your emotions out. The answer is not to get more skilled. The answer is not to figure out what the circumstances are. The answer is to know God's faithfulness. To know his promises, to know his word. Do you know God? Do you know what he has said? Do you know his promises that he has made to you? That's what's in the word of God. And knowing the story of the Bible, knowing what he has promised for you, that is how you will be faithful. That has to be the foundation of your life, is knowing the faithfulness of God is the basis of your faithfulness. The promises of God are the rock-solid foundation of Caleb's faithfulness. When's the last time you intentionally tried to share the gospel with someone? Why, why haven't we done that? Why is that so hard? Who or what are we doubting that would cause us to not participate in the very bullseye of why we exist? Make disciples of all nations. What do we need to believe about God? Lo, I am with you as you make disciples, even unto the ends of the earth. Do not be afraid of what you will say, for I will give you the words. I am with you. I got this. I'm faithful. Whenever I'm struggling, I I just repeat to myself, did God not say, Do you not believe? Then why aren't you doing? Did God not say he'll be with us? Did God not say that I'll give you the words? Did God not say do not fear? Did God not say I'm going to make disciples of all nations through us? Do we not believe that? Then why aren't we doing it? When we're tempted to worry and be filled with anxiety over any number of issues, instead of, and I'm not trying to pretend this is easy. Trust me, I know, this is a battle. It's a battle of faithfulness. But the thing we should train in our hearts and minds, the battle is, is a won by knowing the word of God and reciting the gospel and reciting the promises of God and reciting to our heart, did God not say, I love you? Did God not say, I love the sparrows, but I love you even more than the sparrows? Did God not say, I will take care of you? Did God not say, I will never leave you nor forsake you did God not say then why am I not believing oh God may I believe the word of God may I believe that you are faithful and true this is how we win the battle of faithfulness and in this life it will be a battle until Christ returns and finishes it it's going to be a battle but the battle of faithfulness is won on the word of God second we see the isolation of faithfulness 
the isolation of faithfulness. Verse 7, I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. And I brought word back to him as it was in my heart that day. And nevertheless, my brethren who went up with me made the heart of the people melt with fear. But I followed the Lord my God fully. There was only two people that day that stood up and said, no, we should go into the land. Standing faithfully is isolating. Get over it. Embrace it. It's just that way. Narrow is the gate. Jesus said, foxes have holes, birds have nests. I got nothing. A prophet is without honor in his hometown. You're not going to have a massive crowd following you if you are trying to be faithful. Faithfulness convicts unfaithful people. Faithfulness is a mirror. Faithfulness is isolating. But God's worth it. And it won't always be that way. The isolation of faithfulness. Number three, the recognition of faithfulness. So the word, the promises of God is the basis of our faithfulness. Being faithful, we can certainly know it will be isolating. They wanted to stone Joshua to death. They wanted to kill him. For his faithfulness. And number three, the recognition of faithfulness. Look at verse 9. So Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land in which your foot has trodden will be an inheritance to you and your children forever, because of you have followed the Lord my God fully. You have followed the Lord God fully. Now behold, the Lord has let me live, just as he spoke these 45 years. From the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses, when Israel walked in the wilderness, and now, behold, I'm 85 years old today. That's awesome. The recognition of faithfulness. Caleb is at the end of his life, and he says, I can see God's hand all through those life stories, through all those difficult, dark days. I can see God's hand. He has been with me. He's the one that's let me live through all these battles. He's the one who got me to this point. Can you look back in your life and see the faithfulness of God? It's so important that if you're going to be faithful, you have got to be able to recognize the invisible hand of God all throughout your life. Listen to what Dale Davis says. He says, this is the way faith looks at things. Faith is always looking into the past, seeing God's goodness there, and dragging it into the presence and pondering it praising for it, and so going from strength to strength. Faith takes God's goodness, responds in gratitude, and finds grace for God's next call. Are you dragging the faithfulness of God from your past into your presence until you are filled with gratitude and that empowers you from strength to strength to keep walking with God? That's the recognition of faithfulness, seeing God's hand all throughout your life. Number four, we see the strength of faithfulness. The basis of faithfulness, God's word, God's promises, God's faithfulness. The isolation of faithfulness, when you're faithful, just get used to it. You will feel isolated. The recognition of faithfulness, seeing God's hand in your life, and the strength of faithfulness. Look at verse 11. I am still, this is an 85-year-old man saying this. 
to Joshua, I am still as strong today as I was in the day Moses sent me. As my strength was then, so my strength is now for war and for going out and coming in. Now then, give me that land. I mean, he is like, bring it on. Now then, give me the hill country about which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day that the Anakim were there. I am not afraid of the Anakim. Bring them on with fortified cities. Perhaps the Lord will be with me. Do you ever think of that? And I will drive them out as the Lord has spoken. What an awesome picture of a mature man of God. Maybe frail physically, but he is a stud. He is like, bring it on. You got people in your life like that that have walked with God and they know God. And that's what I love about our intergenerational community groups. The way we break them down, it's by schedule. So you'll have a 103-year-old Alma Edwards who's now 106. She was in our community group and she had a 21-year-old med student in there. And young parents trying to raise their kids and, and they, you know, they come to group and we've all been there and they're like, oh my gosh, I love my kids, but I have no idea what to do with them. And you're just wringing your hands and you're looking for help and the, the mature saint who's walked with God just says, oh, that's so sweet. What? They're like, oh, that's so sweet. God is so faithful. It's going to be all right. I remember the first year of planting this church. I was so clueless. Not anymore. I got it all figured out now. <laughs> but one year into it, it dawned on me that if you actually have a successful church plant, you're going to have to be a pastor. I don't know how to pastor. I don't know how to preach. I don't know how to lead. I don't know how to do anything. And so I'm just wringing my hands, and Jerry Planchock was not there for me. He was in Portugal working. So I called Noran. I said, Noran, I don't know what to do about this. I don't know what to do about that. I don't know what to do about this. And I'm sure she was just like. And then when I was done, she said, I know, me either. Like, That's it? Thanks. She's like, we've never walked this way before, have we? No, I've never done this either. Yeah. I don't know if she said it or she just oozed it. But she said to me, God's got this. It's just strong. That's what Caleb is saying is, is, I got this because God's got this. Do you know God that way that when you face the obstacle, when you face the monster Anakim in your life, that you know that God has said it's yours, that you go, I got this. Give them to me. Don't hold me back from my inheritance. Bring it on. That's how he knew God. That's the strength of faithfulness that we need, that we grow with day in and day out of walking with God, knowing his word, seeing his hand in our life, finding strength in the strength of the Lord. The basis of faithfulness, isolation of faithfulness, the recognition of the hand in faithfulness, and the strength of faithfulness. Finally, the reward of faithfulness. Joshua fourteen thirteen. Joshua blessed him and gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, for the inheritance. Therefore, Hebron came, became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, until this day, because he followed the Lord God of Israel fully. 
Now, the name of Hebron was formerly Kiriath Arba, for Arba was the greatest man among the Anakim. But then the land had rest from war. So here we see the reward of faithfulness, Joshua's faithfulness, day in, day out, not because he was some super duper dude, but because he knew God's faithfulness, that he just simply trusted and obeyed. His faithfulness showed God's faithfulness in his life. At the end of his life, 85 years old, looking back over his life, thinking about all the memories, he was not shown to be a fool. He got the reward. He got it. He stood as a champion on the final day, staked his flag in the land and said, God is faithful. Do you know that God wants us to be motivated by reward? I think a lot of us kind of think there's something wrong in being motivated by the reward of God. God wants us to be driven for his reward. Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith it's impossible to please him. What do you mean? For he who comes to God must believe that he is, that God is, and he must believe that God is a rewarder of those who seek him. Do you believe that God is a rewarder of those who seek him? That's important for faithfulness, that it is a reward. There is a reward for you to seek God. Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, when you go to work, when you change diapers, when you get up in the morning, whatever you do, do it heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. Every day, being faithful in your routine duties that can seem so mundane, there is a reward when you do it to the glory of God. Matthew 6, 18, whenever you fast, don't do it to be noticed by men, but your Father who is in secret, implied is He's watching and He cares He sees what is done in secret. Don't do it for men. But if you're doing it for the Lord because you're seeking the Lord, He will reward you. You feel like your quiet time's empty. You're having trouble, struggle faithfully, having a quiet time, reading the word, praying, fasting, earnestly seeking God. He says, there's great reward in it. Don't give up. Matthew 10, 41, he who receives a prophet in a prophet's name shall receive a prophet's reward. He receives a righteous man in the name of the righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. Whoever and whoever in the name of a disciple gives to one of the little ones even a cup of cold water, God notices it. And you will not lose your reward. Mark nine forty one. whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because your name as a followers of Christ, truly I say to you, he will not lose his reward. Luke 6, 23, when you're persecuted, be glad in that day and leap for joy. Why in the world would you be, per- be glad and rejoice over being persecuted? For behold, your reward is in heaven. It's the same way the fathers used to treat the prophets. It's a great company to be in. There's a great reward if you're persecuted for Christ. 
when you love your enemies, when you do good, when you lend without expecting, when you're gracious, your reward will be great. Live for the reward. When you're tempted to be unfaithful, when you want to give up, read the Bible, think about it. You will be rewarded. God's promised. God wants to bless you. What is the reward? The inheritance. What is the inheritance? Dirt? It's God. It's God himself. It's the presence of God, the peace of God, the joy of God, the grace of God, the blessing of God. That's worth living for. You get to the end of your life, you're 85, and you're looking back on your life, and you're wondering, was it worth it? I promise it won't be a life wasted. A life lived for God is well worth living. There's great reward. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you are a God who rewards faithfulness. That when we live a life of faithfulness, we go deeper and deeper into our inheritance. We allocate the very presence of God, the peace of God, the power of God that sustains us and undergirds us in the midst of many trials and tribulations. Lord God, I pray that we will be a faithful people. I pray that we will be known as people who follow the Lord our God fully. I pray, Lord, that at the end of our lives, by your Spirit's empowerment, enablement, by our knowing the Word and knowing you, that when we get to the end of our lives, you will look at us and say, you have lived a life fully to God. It's in Christ's precious name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Norris Ferry Community Church located in Shreveport, Louisiana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Norris Ferry Community Church, please visit us online at norrisferrychurch.org.